This podcast is for your entertainment only and is not the place to find professional medical advice. Hey guys, Jamie here. I'm here with Joe Thomas, who's been a GP in the Sydney area for around 25 years, and he's actually one of the board members of Chronic Hope, so I'm super excited to talk to him today about just his experience as a GP working with the chronic illness community, some um, tips he can offer, as well as uh, just insight into kind of the brain of a GP when they're from the other side, um, a doctor kind of looking at a patient with a chronic illness. So hi, Joe. Thanks for joining us today. How are you going? Great to be here. Good. Very good. Good. Look, let's just Let's just get straight into it. Um, the first kind of topic subject that I wanted to discuss on the podcast is really around the idea of um, with chronic illness and in my experience, what I've seen is the chronic illness journey is very much um, it's it takes a combination of different practitioners, a combination of um, treatments that generally help create better outcomes for people living with the chronic condition. So that can include GP, exercise physiologist, dietitian. Um, where, like, how does a GP fit into that journey? Usually, they're the sort of the initial, um, the initial touch point. So, how can you talk a little bit about? kind of the GP's role in all of that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, certainly in the Australian context, um, the way our health system is set up is that general practitioners tend to be the first protocol for anything from a runny nose through to some sort of other disaster. Um, so when it comes to chronic illness, GPs also, again, structured within our health system tend to have a centralised coordinating role. So Generally, you'll see the GP, they start doing the investigations, the workup, and once a diagnosis is established, we tend to start doing care coordination. So you'll find that most GPs have been working for any length of time, will already have a variety of patients um, that they've been seeing for years already with a, with a large number of different chronic health conditions. So it could be something as simple as just hypertension that needs managing over the long term through to other more chronic complex conditions like heart failure, liver disease, whatever it might be, you know, res chronic respiratory disease. So GPs tend to um, care coordinate and by definition, the nature of any chronic disease, you know, because of its duration and complexity affecting multiple systems of the body, biopsychosocial invariably requires the involvement of other allied health practitioners or other other specialist practitioners also. I think overseas, um, perhaps say in the US, they might have the family physician who's doing that. But I think generally around the world, um, that tends to be the case. In Sydney, I've got a few um, naturopath colleague friends of mine who almost play that GP role for, for their patients. So it could really be anyone. But certainly in the Australian context, general practitioners tend to be that person okay great and it's it's just interesting that you say that as well because it de it doesn't work that that way in america and i'm not sure how it would work for example in other countries every system is different um yeah and it's also good to have that in mind when you go to a gp i think uh, living in australia having a chronic condition is maybe not to expect the gp to have all of the answers but advocate for yourself and and 
ask the GP to refer you to the right people that can bring a different piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Hopefully your GP's got an, a modicum of humility and actually perceives that at some point in time that they don't have all the answers. Uh, but they're there to, uh, in a sense, go into bat for you and support you and help facilitate um, connecting the right people who are going to help uh, help you in the illness journey and the recovery journey. Yeah, that's great. And um, this is a bit of a maybe controversial question. So I'm glad I'm asking you. Um, there's been so many people I've talked to in the chronic illness community that have said, oh, I've gone to the GP. They told me I was crazy, that I had depression, that I just needed to, you know, do all of these things. But I know something's wrong with me. My GP is not listening. Like, how do you, like, what's your perspective on that? I, I'm just curious because it seems to be a common thread among the chronic illness community. But obviously, yeah. GPs are there to help and... I mean, my, I, I like to believe that everyone has the best intentions. So is there a miscommunication? Yeah. What's, what, what do you think's happening? I think, look, I think one of the, one of the, probably the downsides of general practice in this country is, is sometimes the time pressure. So the thing is with, with, um, with most conditions that aren't clear cut and chronic fatigue is a, even the diagnosis is actually a journey. Um, because there's a lot of other things to exclude. But even before you get to that point of excluding a lot of the other things that could be going wrong, it really takes time to get that history and uh, really go into the history adequately. And that just takes time. And sometimes it takes time over quite a few visits. Um, so I suppose, I suppose if, um, you know, if you're having a chat to, to your GP and within 25 seconds he's given you a diagnosis, perhaps he's jumping the gun or she's jumping the gun a bit. Uh, I, I think at the end of the day, if it's important that you are heard, I think if we can't, you know, if we fail, if a GP fails to listen to what's being communicated, then I would suggest, you know, um, just go f get another opinion. Yeah. If you need to get a few different opinions, do so. I think, uh, I think uh, you, there are lots of great GPs out there and then there are GPs who probably could do a better job. And on that note, how, like, how does one go about trying to find a good GP? How, what are the signs of a good GP? Look, I think it's like anything else. Um, you know, it's like, how do you find a good gym? You, you get people's opinions. You'll ask, you'll ask around, you'll ask your friends. You might do internet searches. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not up to date on how, how the internet searches work. There could be all sorts of little, uh, components to that, but I think it's important to ask around and, uh, and just ask friends and talk to different people and stuff and people invariably you'll, you'll start finding people. And I think most areas in Sydney, you'll find, you'll find doctors who've been around for a while, got a bit of experience and, 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 you know, they're genuinely interested to help people. Okay. And on the, uh, on the flip side of that, do you find, do you think that patients could better advocate for themselves with their GP or? Yeah. Look, I, I think, I think, uh, I think it's important. And, and nowadays I think it's, it's quite different. So even practicing 20 years ago, you know, um, 20 years ago, a lot of my patients would say, Dr. Thomas, I want you to make the decision. <laughs> 
it would be it would be that's a lot of pressure yeah yeah so they they would actually not even want to know what the diagnosis was what the management plan was they just literally say i just want you to tell me what to do that's it and look nowadays you do get a few people they're saying that just uh, cut to the chase I, i just want to know what to do tell me tell me the steps and i'll do it uh, but most people want to be involved in the deci- uh, partly the decision-making process, but certainly the logic of the decision-making process. They want the dialogue. They want to understand. Um, invariably, people will go out and um, Google, and I'll often say, well, this is what I think it is. You can check it up on Google. If I think there's a lot of fluff out there on Google, I might suggest different websites that might have a bit more of a medical slant on what I'm suggesting. So I think uh, I think it's important to, you know, in terms of patients advocating for themselves, just be part of the the discussion. At the end of the day, it's your health. So I think it's important to push if you feel that, look, if you feel that there's still something wrong, it's important to voice it. Even if you feel like I'm being a bit paranoid here, maybe maybe I'm just too anxious. I think it's important because I think just about every GP will say they've had patients come in and been repeatedly pestered but because of that pestering, they've actually uncovered something significant. So I would certainly yeah. never, never say don't pester. <laughs> I think if you that's good. You got to say, say it. That's actually really good because I think I also struggled with that when I had chronic fatigue. Is that going to see multiple different doctors being told that I'm depressed or need to exercise more? And I I knew something was wrong. I was like, no, it's not right. And then I got diagnosed from one doctor and she said chronic fatigue and that made so much sense. Mm. But even then, like I still had to advocate for myself with that doctor because I think, I don't know, you can tell me like the time thing is like they don't have time to sit and redo all this research and spend all this time. So you that's where you have to come in, I think, as a yeah. patient and advocate for yourself and say, I've been looking into this. Here's what I am thinking. I want to get your feedback. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I think that's completely valid. I mean, you know, because if people will come in because they're worried about something, not because they've got no, they've got nothing else to do in their day. So if you come in <laughs> to see the doctor, you've got a concern. And, and, um, and it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what that concern is. Sometimes it, it might be ill-founded. Sometimes it's partially founded. Sometimes it's spot on. But the, the whole point you go see the professional is for is to get that professional opinion and and get a modicum of assurance and and get some sort of diagnosis or management plan so i think it you know i think you go in and if you think you might have something you say it's like someone people come in and they've got breathlessness or chest pain and stuff and i must say in general practice a lot of that does tend to be stress related and shortness of breath but you know if if every person with chest pain or breathlessness says oh i'm just stressed and they've got underlying heart disease or respiratory disease and, and, and completely ignore it, well, you know, they do themselves a disservice. So I think it is important if you've got a concern to raise it and, and also share your opinions as to, well, I think it might be this. Do you think that's a possibility? You know, and I think if the doctor hasn't got the, um, the, the patience to discuss that with you, or maybe that's a marker that perhaps you might need to see another doctor. Yeah. I think what you say, though, is so key because... I think as someone that has lived with a chronic illness, you're already in such a sensitive place to then have to advocate for yourself 
and try to convince people that you're in pain or that this is happening. It's it's so hard from the chronic from the patient perspective, but unfortunately kind of necessary. And I think it's yeah. important something to like important to bring up just for our listeners listening to this podcast, maybe in that place where they're like I'm not getting the help I need. It's okay. It's okay to push for that. It's okay to pester. It's okay to find different as many different options like find what works for you yeah and I think if maybe even I had been told that during my journey like when you see your doctor pester them <laughs> until you feel like you find a solution yeah and so look sometimes that sometimes that that takes a few times it, it may not all happen on the one day but I think I think if you're concerned about something and you know if, if you're being listened to I think that's the key um, if, if you're not being listened to, if your concerns are not being um, respected, um, then then perhaps you know maybe you caught that doctor on a on a bad day. <laughs> but, yeah. but, um, but I mean, you know, you might give them another go. But if they're still not listening, I'd move on. Yeah. And you know, I think uh, just just say from taking from the perspective of most young people, until you actually have something uh, go wrong or you run into trouble most of the time you know you don't need to see a doctor you know the most important people you need to see is probably a probably a nutritionist and a personal trainer to stay healthy yeah. um you know and um just follow the standard public health advice for your age which is don't drink don't smoke and you know don't drink too much don't smoke and and just exercise and eat healthy so i mean um you know i think once you develop a, an illness or you've had an illness and you've recovered from it and if you've come across a a, uh, a local doctor who's been great in supporting you that's a great um that's a great asset in your life that yeah. gp they become they become a, a really useful point a reference point for your life and you mentioned in the past as well that i mean correct me if i'm wrong but that a lot of your treatment with your patients is actually building that relationship and you've found better outcomes is that the case yeah I'd Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, um, when you look at when you, I've been a GP for 25 years, so I have many patients who've moved out of area and will come back because I've been like the person, because I've known them for so long, they know if they come back, I'll listen to them at the very least and I'll give my opinion. So I think it's good to have a family GP. Now, if you've moved out of area, you might need to reestablish a family GP. You don't have to do it when you're well. You can wait till you need to see someone, but it might be something as simple as a cold that you've gone in to see someone about because you just needed to be checked over. And, and you'll get a feel for them. And if, they're, if, they're, if you feel like you listen to, they communicate well, and they've got time for you, then great. Go back and see them the second and third times. It might be few and far between, but building that relationship over time is beneficial, not just for the person needing help, but it's also beneficial for the GP. Because if I get to see you over a longer period of time, when you do come to me for something more significant, I can cut to the chase really quick because I've already started to develop a relationship with you. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really important. Yeah, and have you noticed, because um, I've been doing a lot of research around sort of the state of chronic illness in Australia, and it's actually 
kind of it's a pretty serious issue like 50 percent of australians are living with a chronic condition this includes anxiety depression cancer arthritis heart conditions chronic fatigue and it's rising yeah and it's rising and particularly i don't know the statistics around this but what i'm noticing that is that it's happening more in younger people with allergies intolerances serious health issues what I guess what's your perspective from like if we zoom out the state of chronic illness from a sort of global higher level perspective and are are you concerned Yeah look I mean I think the stats are there it's clear that chronic chronic illness in its different forms is on the rise across the earth and maybe in some ways it's it's a natural consequence of of us as a population getting better at treating acute illnesses. And maybe that's one of the good things we've done as doctors, um, orthodox practitioners and, and medical teams and stuff is we've gotten good at treating the infectious diseases, you know, the, the heart attacks and managing the strokes and all that sort of stuff. But um, what we haven't been good at and, and we've got a long way to go, I think is, is the whole lifestyle side of things. And, and you know we've become more sedentary. We've become more affluent. We've we're eating more. We're drinking more. We've got we we've learned probably lost the art of slowing down. So there's a whole bunch of lifestyle related um, conditions that are now becoming more and more prevalent. Um, even even the internet age has brought its benefits and its challenges, and and it will be it will be seen in our health. So I think uh, that's I think that's part of the reason we're probably seeing it in younger younger age groups um but yeah. you know it's it's a, it's a massive question i don't think there's one simple answer no so all, all we know is it is becoming more common so i think i think again certainly in the australian context if you do end up um developing some form of chronic illness it's great to have a a, a local gp who you can have continuity with over time because there'll be a good resource to help you in managing that yourself because it's always a partnership. Yeah, exactly. Um, so another question in terms of like the patient doctor relationship and your experience, have you noticed that you have patient, certain patients with certain mentalities or ways of seeing things that have better outcomes than others? Have you noticed? I mean, I guess to explain a little bit, I've noticed that people that tend to take responsibility for their health, advocate for themselves, have better outcomes than people that kind of expect, I guess, treatments to come to them. I don't know if you could speak to a little bit on that. Like, Yeah, look, I, 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 think, um, I think the best analogy would be like going to a personal trainer. Like, so if I fork out the money to go to a personal trainer, that's not going to get me fit. What will happen is when I'm proactive with the personal trainer, listen to their advice, work with them and follow through that the health outcome occurs. So I think it's no different for your personal um, physical health when you're seeing a doctor. Um, it's important to ask questions. It's important to be engaged. Um, it's important not to be passive, but, but fairly active and proactive and doing what you can. And I think when you do that, you'll actually bring out the best in the doctor too. Uh, because they'll then reiterate some of the stuff that you've discovered yourself and say, yes, you're spot on, that you should do that, and that's a great thing to do. It, 
it's very easy for us as doctors also just to push a pill and and not address all of the other lifestyle factors that are so important with every condition that we see. So I think uh, in terms of the right mentality, it's being it's being proactive about your health. Yeah. And and also and also and also you know proactive about your health doesn't mean fretting about your health. I think that's part of why you see the doctor. If you're worried about something, you see them and and hopefully after that they can allay your fear or 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 address the issue at hand. But being proactive is just is just partnering with that doctor to do what you can do and um and leave the stuff that you can't do. And sometimes you know it might mean a pill, sometimes it might mean a a treatment regime that you've just got to commit to even if it's not something that you necessarily want if you feel that it's going to be in your interest. I think that's so important as well because you get two sides of it where I was talking to um, someone else earlier today and she was like, I would drink ox blood to get better from my chronic condition. I would do anything, <laughs> you know, like give give me anything. If it's immediate cure, I'm ready. And then you get other people that are like, oh, I'm not actually super willing to make those lifestyle changes. But I found for me, it was the other sort of like, I'm actually willing to try anything to get better. Yeah, yeah. And having yeah. that open mind of like, this sounds kind of crazy, but maybe it could help. I mean, and then even just ad, like advocating for yourself. I know for me, like I so I had a yeast yeast in my gut and I went off sugar for a year and then got tested and it came back negative. And I was like, mm, I, ha- I know I have it. So I ate sugar for like before the next test and the next test came back positive to for like a yeast overgrowth. So it was like this... I, I advocated for myself in that way as I was like working with the doctor to be like, no, I think that this is an issue and I'm going to do the things so that the test com- like actually shows that because mm-hmm. yeast ends yeah. up being dormant when you aren't like eating sugar because sugar is what feeds it. Anyway, so it's just little stuff like that where I was doing the back end work to educate myself about what I had and not like my doctor doesn't have time to you know do all of this other this research around my specific condition you know um so in terms of your practice and what you do um can you tell me a little bit about that uh and then I guess kind of what differentiates you as a practice from maybe other practices in Sydney what your kind of vision is uh, good question. I mean, look, I, I work in a group practice that I'm one of the senior doctors at. I've been there for about 23 years now. Um, I think in one sense, um, my practice is very typical for any general practice. I think, I think every general practitioner, especially as the years roll on, you do tend to develop um, probably some, some skill and expertise based on what you tend to see a lot of. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, I've probably developed a bit more of a of an older aged practice now. So my my day-to-day is actually managing a lot of chronic medical conditions. So um and uh you realize after a while you become very good at it because you're just seeing so much. And um so you get the opportunity to hone your clinical skills and get better at your management skills and you get to upskill in that area quite rapidly. Um so I mean I, I think in terms of an ethos, um 
I am a great believer in traditional family practice. And by that, I mean, by that, I mean, I think, um, I think if as a GP, you get the opportunity to see uh, a person over a long period of time and be involved in their care, um, I think I personally believe there'll be better outcomes for that person. And for me personally, I think there's more value add because you actually become part of a community. You become part of, uh, you know, a person's life, a family life. You know, it's great. It's great when you get to see the generations. I love that personally. Uh, I know that's not necessarily every GP's cup of tea, but I certainly get a derive a lot of benefit from just being part of the, you know, the extended family. You know, that's and, amazing. And, and, you know, there's great reward in helping people. And, uh, you know, and, and even sometimes when people have moved out of area because that's the nature of city life, you know, just seeing them a bit later, they might pop in to town and stuff and you just get to see them and catch up on what's happening in their life and their health and all the rest of it. It's nice. That's great. I And, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if that that in itself just creates better outcomes for patients is, you know, when you feel that sense of community and trust. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, yeah, I think the psychologists call it a therapeutic alliance and um, certainly it harnesses the power of placebo because uh, just it, just the relationship forming has, has great, has got great um, potential for understanding and then follow through. Cause if you see me uh, and there isn't a rapport and a trust, even if I'm spot on with my diagnosis, my assessment, and I and I clearly communicate everything that that you should do that will help you. Um, if there isn't a, a rapport, the follow through is going to be less, and um, and it's quite probable you'll go to someone else to get a second opinion. Yeah, and switching gears a little bit. Um... And one thing that I've noticed in my experience working with the chronic illness community is that there's a pretty strong correlation between mental health and physical health. Um, what are your thoughts around that? And do you ever like recommend your patients to see like a counselor, psychologist? Um, yeah, I'm keen to get your insight on that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the way I see it is, uh, you know, body, soul and spirit, you can't separate it all. Um, you know, your, your mind, your body, um, you know, your place in the community, your relationships, you know, we're, we're taught this concept of a biopsychosocial model of medicine. Uh, you know, when, if, if I'm seeing you, you know, uh, you're not a medical condition attached to a person. You're a person with a health challenge. And as a person, you're also part of a community. You're part of a belief system you're part of a whole bunch of other things so that's the whole idea of body soul and spirit you know you're part of a community and there's a spirituality with all of that too so there's 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 so many aspects that come into it that's why the relationship i think understanding people becomes critical you know if i if i understand a little bit about who you are in your worldview it'll help me a lot in helping even if i'm sure this is the way you need to go it'll help me to navigate and to facilitate you going in that direction so the question with regards to the mental health side of things, um, you can't separate your physical body from your mind. Um, yeah. You know, there's a very rare condition where these people suddenly stop sleeping and within, within months they die. 
And um, that's a fascinating condition. In that's own a condition? Right. Yeah, yeah. It's very rare, fortunately. There's a couple of very, very classic documented cases on it. And I suppose that's a very simple way of saying your brain is incredibly important for the viability and health of your body. So, you know, if your brain is not doing well and your brain is not just biochemical processes related to thinking and planning and all the rest of it, it there's also the whole psycho psychological aspects of, of brain function and everything else. You cannot separate your mind and your body. It's all part of the same soup. That's the way I tend to visualize it. You know, uh, your body and your mind is all part of the one soup. So when yeah. you're looking at chronic conditions, you just need to look at the stats to see the incidence of um, anxiety, depression, and stress within it. You know, there's probably about 30% of people with probably 50% of people with chronic pain have got depression, you know? Yeah. So wow. when you look at any, when you look at any chronic condition, there are varying amounts of stress, anxiety, and depression throughout the course of that chronic illness and it fluctuates. So just being aware of that and addressing that. And sometimes the mental health may take over and almost drown out the chronic health a bit. And that becomes the primary thing you've got to really address. Otherwise, you're not going to help any of the other stuff move forward. You know, I've got a young diabetic patient at the moment who is poorly compliant, but it's purely because of the way this person views their diabetes. Wow. And, um, you know, won't follow through, won't, won't, take, won't take the insulin that the person needs and everything else. So, you know, I know that it's all about engagement and trying to get them on the process of just accepting and, um, and, you know, getting over the cognitive hurdles this person's got. So look, you can't separate it. It's all attached. Yeah, that's interesting. Wow, well, thanks so much for sharing your insight. Um, if people are interested in seeing you, uh, having you as their GP, how, how, how can they do that? Um, you can just Google me up in Malabar. Okay, Malabar. We'll also put, um, for those listening, we'll put Dr. Thomas's information up on the show notes so that you can put his information in the database as well. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming and sharing. It was really insightful. I feel like I learned a lot. I hope our listeners have learned a lot as well. And um, that as well, they can get in touch with you if anyone's in the Sydney area. Thank you. Very good. Thank you for your passion, Jamie. <laughs> no Thanks for listening to the Chronic Hope podcast. If you want access to show notes, go to chronichope.org, where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. And make sure to follow us on our Instagram, at chronic underscore hope. See you next week.